Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Chart Topic Show, stopping the best podcast in the world! <laughs> we just get it, just get it, just get it. Hi everyone and welcome back to A Lot On Your Plate podcast with me, Jess, and my lovely sidekick, Zoe. Hello everybody. Hello, how are welcome you Welcome back. I'm good. This weather is really a treat. It is a treat. It's scorching. It's like 29 degrees. What did you do this weekend? I went through to Edinburgh Finch on Friday. I saw that actually on your Instagram. And it was roasting. And then we went to see Train Spotting. Oh, is it good? Have you not seen it before? No. Oh, my. I've obviously seen the film. No, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Why? You know the toilet scene in the film? Yes. And he like shits himself in the bed. (laughs) Well, that happens. Obviously, it's not like real Real. poo. But that happens and it's like, he gets up, he's completely naked, like, I see his little man and everything, and little, and um, he's just walking about and he's got all this brown stuff off him, so then he's using a towel to, like, try and wipe it off, obviously it's just part of the play, but then he walks by the audience and he's, like, swinging the towel and it's, like, whacking off people's faces and their clothes, and honestly, people had white on and they had brown stuff all over them. No. Me and Jason both had white on, I was like, that's my denim jacket, like, right over the front of me. Imagine that hitting you and then you had to go about your day. I wonder oh, what it been was. covered in shite. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I did that on Friday and then had some lovely drinks after it. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, I went to my dad's for a barbecue all day. Love it. And it was just everyone, everyone had sweat patches head to toe, but we just embraced it. It's a lovely weather. karaoke at night. Yeah, I saw that. Love it. It's I'm actually so hot, saying. isn't it? I was just down in, um, where was I? I went to Shropshire from Wednesday to Friday. Did you see the cabin I stayed in? Yeah, it looked it a dream. looked amazing. I will actually tag that on the description of the podcast so everyone can see, but it was called Rest and Wild down in Shropshire, and it was, no word of a lie, one of the best experiences I've, I've done in a long time. It was the bath. Yeah, I love the outdoor bath thing. So basically in the middle of nowhere, gorgeous, just very well-designed cabin, and me and my friend Rebecca went down and we had a lovely time, and then we went to Leicester. I introduced us to some of my friends and family, 
got a bit of a husky voice because <clears throat> I am slightly hungover today. I have had to drive back up to Just do case. this podcast and I feel a little bit worse for wear, but I feel fantastic now. I've had a few starbursts and I'm great. Back I know I bang on about this quite a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm going to continue to do it. Yeah. Why is now Rebecca met all your family and friends and I've not? Well, that's your problem, not mine. No, it's not. She's not inviting <laughs> me. <laughs> Anyway, so today we finally have our first guest and we are so, so excited to have her here. Her name is Ashley McFay and she is 41 and a Virgo. Pisces. (laughs) Pisces. Did you say that? Sorry, she is 41 and a Pisces. You're Virgo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're Virgo. Pisces. And yeah, she's here today. She is from Glasgow. And I'm going to introduce you and pass you over to her. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. We are so excited to have you here. (laughs) Could you tell everybody on the podcast a little bit about yourself and why we have invited you on the podcast today? Um, So I'm a BABCP accredited psychotherapist and specialise in CBT. So what I do is I have a training facility in Rutherglen where we teach other people to be therapists right. in the world of CBT because there's different types of therapies out there. My modality is CBT. I also treat patients and supervise clinically other therapists as well. So they bring their caseloads to me and we have clinical discussions and things like that about how to best treat people. Perfect. Wow. Could you tell us a little bit more what actually CBT stands for, please? Because yeah. I actually didn't know anything about it until you me messaged. So ah, right, okay. <laughs> so CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is it's kind of well known for treating loads of anxiety and depression. In fact, most anxiety and depressive disorders are across the kind of clinical field are treated with CBT. We call them Axis 1 disorders because they're kind of low level, so... What you'll find is you'll hear a lot of people talking about I've got depression and anxiety, but anxiety is actually categorised into very different things. So like OCD, mm-hmm. yeah. social anxiety, health anxiety, trauma, generalised anxiety disorder, there's, there's loads, um, and panic, phobia, all that. And they all get treated slightly differently, and then they get treated differently from depression. Interesting. So CBT is actually what you do to help, that's not what they suffer from. Yeah. Right. I think that's what confused me. Me too. I thought it was opposite. Mm. Right, interesting. So it's quite common only because what happens is there's been loads and loads of research put into CBT. So it's not that other modalities don't work, it's just that CBT is known for having maybe quicker outcomes. So you'll only get maybe so many sessions, whereas if you go to a different therapist, they'll maybe do person-centred, for example, you might be with them for a bit longer. Yeah. But the treatments are still effective, it's just CBT's had loads and loads of research. Really? On its effectiveness, yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about you on a personal level? So how did you get into your business? Tell me about you. Sure. I started (laughs) off in social work um, for Children and Families for Glasgow, a way back in, I'm going to say my age here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it was about 2000 or something like that. I started as an admin worker and then I moved into field work, but I'm no qualified social worker. And then I moved and uh, did a bit of voluntary work with young people in the community who you know, came from adverse uh, backgrounds and things like that. I moved from that into kind of more field work roles and I've worked in Families for Children, which is fostering adoption. But more predominantly, it's, it's all been offending. So young people offending. I've been in, worked in secure units for a couple of years and just high-risk offenders in the community and, and, and things like that. Domestic violence, drug and alcohol issues. So oh my, my background's been kind of aye, a mixed bag. Wow. Was that quite tough to deal with? Um, I was younger at the time, I didn't have kids. I think it might have been different if I had the kids, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. but um, no, I, I, it was hard going. It's hard going getting into 
you know, people's houses that don't... Difficult situations. Aye, absolutely. Yeah. Probably the hardest physical job was a secure unit because there was a lot of violence in that. Oh, um, it was boys, it was men. Latterly, I ended up in counselling just by default. I met my husband on that, um, oh, my really? first counselling skills course. I way back in 2003. Oh. I, we didn't get together then. <laughs> um, he hunted me down. He was like, of course. And then um, my counselling career started and here I am. It's just sort of happened. At your oh, sorry, what's the name of your? It's Act Counselling and CBT Health. Services. Fabulous. And wow. how many people work for you? We have actually quite a lot. I said probably about thirty odds in total. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but they're kind of self-employed, so we yeah. we contract them. In. So we've right. got kind of trainers, tutors, clinical staff. Yeah. So we just thought it was really important to have you on the podcast today because obviously a lot of our listeners um, are similar sort of age range to, to me and Zoe and I think it's been quite apparent since COVID especially and post-COVID there's a lot of people have struggled from anxiety and depression, social anxiety, getting back out there and we just thought it was really important to maybe speak to you about a few things, ask you some questions. We also have some of our followers have messaged in some things that they want to ask you as Perfect. well. So yeah, we'll just start <laughs> off with a few things. So what are, would you say would be the warning signs for CBT or anxiety and depression that you think somebody would... They're probably thinking they may have it, they're not quite sure, but what would you say are the warning signs? Well, they're, they're both slightly different. So what you'll find is people with depression will have a little bit of anxiety because they've got depression, mm -hmm. but it depends how depressed they are. So you'll have folk that are kind of functioning with depression, so they'll manage their job, but they're not getting any pleasure from, from it. And what you'll find is that kind of, depression split into two main things about mastering pleasure. So your mastery is about going to work and enjoying it, like, mm -hmm. you know, and getting something out and you're achieving and you're doing something. And pleasure is all your things that you do in your life that you just do for fun. And there's no goal attached to it. And what you find is folk will withdraw from pleasure. It's the first thing it goes, so avoidance. Yeah. So that's one of the symptoms that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know. What then happens is they're attending their work and they're not getting anything from that either. Yeah. So their day becomes pretty mundane. So they're going to work and then not getting anything from it, withdrawing when they get home, being alone is very difficult. It's been very difficult for people over the pandemic, but generally speaking, prior to pandemic, there was about 6 million people accessing psychological services in the UK wow. before COVID. Jeez. So there was a pandemic before there was a pandemic mental yeah. health anyway. Yeah. So you'll have kind of functioning people and then you'll have other people who just struggle to get up out of bed. Yeah. So their, their treatment, their symptoms are very different because you wouldn't actually see that. Sure. But for folk that... And then you get your anxiety-based folk that maybe have a lot of stomach problems and things like that as well. Yeah. Like, um, And avoidance is key with anxiety. So what happens is most people just withdraw and avoid. That's that. Yeah. So you'll see them kind of, your friends maybe been struggling to come out and they want to go and they would normally come yeah. out and things like that. No, nah, they'll not do it. I think that's quite known now compared to the past. Like if someone goes quite quiet and they're not like wanting to socialise and stuff, as much people are more aware to kind of keep checking in on them and try and encourage mm. them to come out and yeah. go and see them and things like that before. Whereas I think, especially when I was younger, and it's not that maybe my friends were suffering from anything, but you're like, oh, they've just turned boring. Right. But actually, people are more aware of it now and what that can mean. Yeah, I think that's quite an important question as well because the next thing that I wanted to ask you was how would you suggest that people that aren't really aware of how to deal with anxiety and depression, they, they think their friend may have it, but they've just not really been sympathetic with them. How would you suggest that somebody that may think their friend has it would approach the situation or deal with it? This is a tough one, but I think the best thing to do is just to ask them. Yeah. Because it's one thing I learned when I was young, like younger in the field of social work. It was like when we were working with young people and you were always trying to figure them out. This wise old woman had said to me, just ask them. And if you ask somebody, they'll 
they actually will tell you. It's just yeah. that people, what happens is folk get worried when somebody tells them how they feel. And they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't they worry about doing the right thing. So the folk don't ask the question. Yeah. So actually, just saying, listen, I've noticed that you're being a bit quiet lately. Are you all right? Yeah. How many people have actually said that to you? Yeah, that's true, actually. Probably. No. Very little. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's just asking the question. Yeah. Um, but there's loads of services out there that don't get... I'm saying there's loads of services that are absolutely saturated. So there's some free services, and obviously there's paying services, and I work in the private sector. Yeah. But there is services locally, loads in uh, Lanarkshire and things like that as yeah. well, that will see folk for free, mm-hmm. that, that deal with kind of... It's low, moderate. It's called kind of... CBT works for low to moderate disorders, so folk be a bit of social anxiety or OCD or something like that. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It definitely does answer the question. So sometimes just asking, but your your indicators are always avoidance and withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah. Or with social anxiety if they're absolutely smashed. And if they're absolutely smashed or drinking way much before they head out in a night out. Yeah. That's that's another telltale sign. And we can talk a wee bit about how that actually gets in the road. Yeah. Because they okay. want to be feel brave enough to actually deal with people when they get out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. What would you say? Do you have any statistics at all on anything post-COVID, pre-COVID, um, how that may have affected a certain age group or gender? Yeah, so it, only statistics just now because there's no much research being done yet. There's It was 12%, so what happens is so 12% of the population, but this was based in America, ha- have diagnosed social anxiety. And I think what's important probably for me to mention is social anxiety gets tied up a lot with low self-esteem. Yeah, right. the two of them are intertwined, mm-hmm. right? So, it you think it's quite common, but it's actually only twelve percent of the population, which is a lot. It is a lot. There's no getting yeah. away for that. But what you'll find is most people are suffering from low self-esteem than they are with yeah. social anxiety. Social anxiety is kind of performance related, where they're going to get scrutinised, and low self-esteem is more about that kind of internal uh, critic going on and, and people making assumptions. So stats-wise, it's the third most diagnosed disorder after depression and drug and alcohol abuse. And then wow. it's social anxiety. Gender-wise, it tends to be double double females, so more females than males. But there's a whole chat about is that... There's is that because no, they don't speak up about it? But yeah. especially the west of Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a man. You don't, you don't yeah. talk about your no feelings here, especially in Scotland. You know, you just yeah. don't do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we want our burly men, you know. Men, <laughs> men don't have mental health problems. Yeah. So there is a bit of chat about why that number's higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are services out there for men as well. But so gender-wise, there's not a lot of studies done. Yeah. Oh, and it's, you know, symptoms Symptoms are very similar um, to, to male and female in terms of how they perceive themselves, but maybe go about it, how they act slightly differently to cope with it. Yeah. And do you think, have you seen a big increase on people wanting help since COVID? Yeah, but not for social anxiety. And the reason right. for that's because they didn't need to go out. Yeah. So the numbers plummeted. So what you'd find is actually OCD went on the increase. I don't have the stats for you, that's just environmental scans. So basically mm-hmm. just through my work, through the stories and the, and the clinical work that I do, but OCD get higher, uh, health anxiety went higher. Right. So, because, you know, it's all about germs yeah, that and makes sense. viruses. So what would you say, could you describe to me a bit more about OCD? Obviously, I've, as far as I'm aware of it, I see it more as somebody that's tidy and a neat freak. But is there other signs to OCD that don't just mean being tidy? 
Aye, OCD um, would be like numbers, so people, you know, the dial and the volume and things. Mm-hmm. Like and they make it round number or something. Round numbers. <laughs> 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 so, so things like that, checking, checking in their head, checking um, straighteners, irons, cookers. Have a lock the door and you go back about lock ten times. Lock the door, times. keep oh, checking. No. All the checking behaviours is, is kind of signs of OCD and, and puro being really internalised about your, your thinking and intrusive thoughts are come really hand in hand so intrusive thoughts being I mean I say it all the time and I say this to my to students like you know that way you're driving and there's a wee old lady crossing the road and I'm like did I just go yeah, I was going to ask you about them right out of the game oh, and you, <laughs> <laughs> should I just slowed in here so somebody with OCD would have thoughts like that right when they but, hold like a hot cup of tea and they just think I just want to throw this over that aye, I push in front of the train there's so many people like that aye 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 but nobody does it right no but the problem is mm. the problem with people with OCD is that they they believe that they would or they have an interpretation what does that mean about me for having those bad thoughts. Right. Whether it's you and I or whoever doesn't have OCD just goes, uh-huh. I, never, I never looked at the old woman down and off I go and do my food for, shopping. Totally forget they ever thought that. That's yeah. the only difference is that people get caught in the thinking and then there's like a belief system in place if I don't, you know, check and do all this process, check the house 15 times, then something terrible is yeah. going to happen. Yeah. But that's a slightly yeah. different treatment and a different symptom. So you see how anxiety pops out differently for different yeah. disorders so they're not all the same it's wild how you can just have like small things from it as well because I like joke that I have it kind of thing so I'm so neat and tidy yeah. and I do all that number stuff yeah, but I don't know. really have the thoughts as much no. like I don't want to chuck a cup of tea over from it <laughs> hope not but I do have my moments of like I can't have the volume not being at like and an even number. or round up mm-hmm. number like it needs to be like a 30 or 25 yeah 27 that would send me west oh my um, so how you obviously working in the industry how do you advise them to stay positive or what, what are the next steps for somebody that they need to do to try and get themselves out of this certain headspace or things that they should avoid any sort of books or apps you suggest that they get into anything like that there's, really? there's loads of um, there's loads of podcasts on if it's well, obviously we're talking about social anxiety specifically yeah. today but there's loads of podcasts um, out there actually when I went into Spotify they're all pretty decent, to be honest. I know I'm sounding vague. The reason for that is if you Google like Very Well Mind, it's a great website. If you typed in social anxiety, Very Well Mind would come up and they've got resources. The Centre for Clinical Excellence has resources. And what I mean by that is people can download right. and read a bit about it. And then there's wee tools and, and tasks and things like that that they can do. The yeah. thing is with CBT, you need to be fairly motivated to want to change. change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a difficulty. So some folk... Um, struggle to ask for help uh, and that's a kind of belief system people think that they're different or they're the only one that has this when in actual fact loads of people have have all this sort of stuff going on so reaching out would be through either asking a friend to help them asking a family member or googling you can get the, the wee documents and things like that and they can have it but working on their thinking is huge so that, yeah you know i suppose it'd be different for everyone as well like what works for them and what like, because listening to a podcast will work for someone and then doing, like, an app that... I know a lot of people do the apps that's to work your mind and it just kind of, like, keeps you th- yeah. thinking busy but not about what's going on with you. It's more, like, puzzles online or... Yeah. It's, like, kind of, like, 
that wordle thing, like, you know, stuff like that. Yep. But there's an app, loads of apps that do loads of day things, and you have to do it like once a day, mm-hmm. every day, and yep. that's to kind of help like stimulate your mind, but in a completely different way. Yeah, 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 totally. And you can, I mean, people use positive affirmations and things like that that mm-hmm. are really helpful. I'm into that at the minute. Gratitude journaling, yeah. trying. <laughs> <laughs> Jess has been talking about this journal non-stop for about two months now and she's still the same person that I've ever known so I'm not sure it's working <laughs> I, I don't know I would always say I'm quite a positive person anyway but that I do think that I could be probably quite self-critical sometimes especially with image now and again I think a lot of people are like that social media has a big effect on things like that and uh, fear of missing out that's a big thing for me yeah I've got that um, and def- I definitely don't have OCD, nothing like that. But No, that's, uh, that's not a concern. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but I do think probably trying to be more grateful for what I have rather than I'm always wanting more. I'm always mm-hmm. thinking, even, even if I do things like if I plan a day out, I've noticed this about me in the recent years, if I plan something, and, and which, which tends to be the case, I love to plan holidays. When I'm at that certain place, I'm always thinking about the next. I don't really stay present in the moment and enjoy it. And I'm I'm worried about everybody else around me thinking, oh, we need to then go to that. I don't know if that's a sort of obsessive sort of thing, but I can't really, I really struggle to switch off and enjoy that moment and then just go to the next. So that's definitely something that I've noticed. I've, the point of me journaling or writing what I'm grateful for was just to try and be more grateful for what I currently have rather mm-hmm. than what I do want. Yeah. I suppose it's affirmations, but... It sounds like, though, just listening to you without getting the counselling road, yeah. is that you worry. Yeah, I do. And that's a different type of... That's, that's could be... I don't want to go to this issue, yeah. but it could be <laughs> what's called generalised anxiety disorder. Yeah. And what happens is with that, it's excessive worrying and worrying about everything. So everything changes. So it might, it, it, obviously, I'm not diagnosing you clearly, but what might happen is um, people's worry. So people worry a lot. And the, and the worries will be on finances and then it'll be in relationships and then they solve that problem then it's on something else and then they get demoralised and exhausted by the constant worry and some people struggle to sleep at night because of the worry yeah. so it's a separate anxiety presentation yeah. and what you're talking about contentment will, will stem from your value base yeah interesting so that so that's where you need to look first yeah what, what do you value and then you can Go from there. Mm-hmm. I think I do struggle as well with um, getting, being productive, getting things done. I'm very much like I write everything on my notes. But then, because Richard says this to me today, when I was back on my health kick a few weeks ago, I'm one of those people, I'm like, right, I'm going to drink five litres of water a day, I'm going to work out three times a day, I'm going to do it all to the point where it's just too, far too much for my brain to even cope. And then I end up giving up because it's never progressive or slowly into something. It's and like I, all or nothing. Yeah. It is such an all or nothing sort of mentality yeah. that I've got and it winds me up. But I do wish that, and that's why I thought if I'd try and be consistent with something every day. But then again, this weekend, not, not done it. I've slipped off. And I understand that's normal, but then I punish, then I punish. punish myself for it. I think, oh, well, I've, I've given up on that now. Mm-hmm. So I can't do it. So, because you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. Every time you do it. So, yeah. you're, you're, all, so you're just stuck in that cycle. Mm-hmm. So you set yourself too many tasks and you're going to, you know, hit the brick wall with that. that yeah, also happen. just, you need to do, like, one goal at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is what I think people realise is, like, you're talking about the healthy stuff, like, water, exercise, and what you eat, and it's like, if you just did one week of making sure you hit that, like, water goal every day. Yeah. And then you're used to that, so then by the next goal, you're already got the first one in your routine. Yeah. And then you, like, slowly build just it slowly up. progress, And yeah. then it's more sustainable than... Consistency is, is, yeah. is something that I struggle yeah. with. That's the anxiety, though, that pushes that, because yeah. the worry, the worry about getting it. 
yeah. getting what you want quickly and you're trying to be motivated and all that, but you set yourself up while trying to do that. Yeah. Because ultimately you fail, I don't mean that, but ultimately no, yeah, you, no, know, you fall right off the wagon and then you fail yeah. and then that reaffirms what you already think yeah. about yourself that you're not achieving or whatever. Yeah, and then you yeah. just stop and you don't want to yeah. try anymore. Yeah. How, um, how do you deal with... Obviously, in your job, you listen to a lot of people's problems. How do you personally and all of your counsellors deal with that themselves? Do you have to have your own counsellor as well to kind of not make sure it's all on your shoulders? Like, how, yeah. or you, or do you have, have you sort of trained yourself to just be quite separate from it? How does that work? I, it's, um, no, you don't have to have your own counsellor, but it's ethical and, and that's what you kind of sign up for when you kind of become a professional. Mm-hmm. You need to seek out support. You know, it would be unethical for me, basically, if social anxiety and be sitting with you and telling you what to do and me no go and fix myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you do have to have clinical supervision every every month and how I keep myself healthy. Everyone does different things. I will go on holiday. I'm always got a holiday booked and everybody yeah, knows me knows I'm always away. <laughs> um, away in the sunshine, so I love the sun and, and that sort of stuff. Day to day, how I switch off is it's more just a conditioned behaviour because 20 year career and working and helping people who are in really awful situations I've learned just to shut the door and that sounds harsh so when somebody like recently sticks in my mind that's when I know I need to worry about them you know, if it's suicide and things like that, right. I'll go, right, if I need to worry about them. If you can't just shut the door the way you If I can't can. shut the door, then mm-hmm. they're on my mind, then I'll know, right, actually, that's my spider sense. He's going, I need to make sure that they're all right. Well, I don't need to make sure what happens is I just, I'm aware that they're there and they're in my mind and I'm checking in appropriately with them. I suppose that kind of helps you a bit then, because if you are used to that mindset and you are overthinking about someone, then it almost, yeah, it almost yeah. pushes you to keep at them and like keep checking in on them. Yeah. Rather than not just thinking, oh, I just need to shut that out like the rest of them. Yeah. Like yeah. it is like an instinct. What would you say, obviously you've probably got lots, because I've been on your website and had a little look at some of the reviews, but do you have any sort <laughs> of success stories or anything that any of our listeners could listen to and actually if they feel like they are in such a dark rut at the moment and they have no way of getting out... Do you have anything that you've, anonymously, obviously, who you've worked with recently or yeah. that have lo- changed their life? Obviously Absolutely. loads. <laughs> I don't mean I've got loads of stories, Jess. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's been, I think, if, if a social anxiety point of view, then, because obviously, as I said, the treatments are different, but yeah. there, was, there was a guy actually who was actually nearly 60. So it's, it's interesting, you know, you think the demographic, you think, right, okay, is this young people? But it's not, it's everybody. And you think, 60-year-olds have got their, I mean, they've got their shit together, haven't yeah. they? They're, they're like pure, proper adults. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we get loads of people coming through that are, what well, I would say, slightly older. And uh, he he lost his job in COVID. He was actually, a, a, he worked in a nursing home. And he worked down south, so he's no local. And he lost his job. And as a result of that, he he, he just withdrew. Very typical, right, mm-hmm. of social anxiety and to the point that he couldn't go to the shops for food. But he had a wife, so he did get fed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that is a problem. So anyway, he, he lost that. He stopped going fishing, which he loved. And the biggest problem he had was he had to go to the job centre, yeah. which is an interview, performance-related. Mm-hmm. So that's where that social anxiety thing comes in. And it's not really about low self-esteem. So struggle to go to the park with his grandkids, so that he withdrew for that, withdrew for the fishing, that's that pleasure thing we've talked about, and then had this performance every couple of weeks to go and sign on or whatever. So he came through the door and the biggest mistake that people make with social anxiety is like try to get people to go and do, right, go to the shops, go to the park, you know, and do all these things. What you actually need to do is drop the safety behaviours when you're in the social situations. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is... So, for example, um, for him, he wouldn't make eye contact. 
right? Now, that's a safety behaviour. So if I'm sitting here talking to you, doing my head down and all like that, that's me, you know, I'm, I'm not able to make eye contact. So there's kind of feelings of shame in and around social anxiety as well. And that came out through the sessions because he had lost his job. So he felt quite shameful mm-hmm, about yeah. that and struggled with that. So that that's what we worked on. We kept it, keeping it simple. So it's not like, right, I want you to go to the park with your kids to try that. I want you to go to the shops. I want you to go into this. It's the smaller things. It's the small things. And also, what's your wife doing? She's brilliant. She goes to the shop. Aye, she's actually part of your problem. Because what she's doing is, she's letting you stay at home while she's going to the shops and encouraging it by things that she's being helpful with she's putting up the stuff that you're Family and friends can be a huge barrier Mm -hmm. to people actually getting better, although they do it for the right reasons. Yeah. So I had to have a wee chat with him, to have a wee chat with her, to say the plan would be moving forward that he would maybe go to the shops and that's what we did. So we got him to go to the shop for one thing and sometimes it's just getting out the shop, buying, see I can, I just walk back out again Mm -hmm. and then going back into the shop and maintaining an eye contact for two or three seconds, back out the shop again back in the shop and that's a repetitive so that you're testing out every time which what do you think is going to happen if you look somebody in the eye and usually it's a cognition about there'll you know be something about down in self they'll think i'm stupid i'm going to start or i'm not going to get my words out or something like that and then what you do in cbt is you test that thinking out with the behavior cognitive behavioral and see how it goes so i would never set somebody up to fail so i would never go in and say they're going to a full shop yeah and then make eye contact Going to Nasdaq like that, with everybody <laughs> quite the thing, you know, and looking at them all. <laughs> it's not going to work. But you just need to, do, you know, keep it simple and not have them out all over the world. So that's what he did. We kept it simple, kept the eye contact going, anxiety reduced, and then he was back out fishing. He was terrified somebody was going to come and ask him about the fish, which inevitably happens because my son's actually into fishing. He's only eight and he loves fishing. And uh, he always goes up to all the wee guys and he's like, have you caught anything, mate? What have you caught today and all that? So I could imagine him and this guy, like, dying because somebody's actually asked him. But he, again, two times he'd done that in their in treatment, he managed to get to the fishing. So I was delighted. That's a success. And I think that's the important thing. Like, people think that therapy's, like, it's short-term, but they want a magic wand. But what you need to remember is, like, say, with social anxiety, it starts when you're a child, believe it or not. Right, so say if I've got a 60-year-old in front of me, he's been thinking and behaving like that for 55 years. Yeah. Right, 10 sessions of therapy, I'm not going to cut the mustard. But yeah. what it will do is it'll get him on a path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't come out the finished article in therapy. He, he, he was motivated and be with a plan. So that works. And we got him on a trajectory, which was brilliant. But, you know, he's got 55 years, he's brain-wired one way, it's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah. sure. But I suppose it's just people knowing what to start putting into practice to, like, get on the right path. Absolutely. More than just thinking there's no way this can be fixed. Aye, and, and I was thinking about young people in that the day, and I call young people people in their 20s, so mm-hmm. that probably includes you, Zoe, in that. But what, <laughs> what I found was, um, yeah. especially when I was teaching in COVID as well, so we all went on to Zoom and everybody was like, right, we're on Zoom. And then the cameras started going off. And I was like, nah, get the cameras on. Mm -hmm. I'm no teaching a classroom a blank. It's No happening. So so he'd get the cameras on, then the people would be reluctantly, you know. And and what was transcendent? We talked about it, what's going on? Well, I I don't like to have a look. Yeah. And young people will be able to relate to that. Yeah. Um, Especially when we use filters. I don't know how to use a filter on my phone. That's that's the truth. I don't actually really know how to do much. In fact, I only (laughs) realised that I could download movies onto my phone 
gone to Turkey about three weeks ago. <laughs> My husband done it for me, right? So filters know that, it's just no me. Yeah. But when people are faced with it, they think they should look a certain way on the screen. So they were putting their cameras off because they didn't want to look at themselves. Yeah. So there's that. No talking on the phone. No yeah. texting all the time. No even doing voice voice notes like uh, my cousin will just know do a voice note a voice note all the time. It's just easier. So it's easier. easier so like exactly. And they'll know do it. Yeah. So because we we're we're no needing to because you can communicate WhatsApp, Instagram, and all yeah. that now. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I think the camera thing was a huge thing because we worked from home during COVID for majority of the time. But because I work in marketing, like, most of our job is everyone collaborating with each other. So we always had the cameras on. And then, like, members of my family who were also working at home, any call they went on, no, they didn't put a camera on, no one did. And yeah. I I couldn't get over, I couldn't get over that. Yeah. I was like, how are you sitting speaking to your whole team, but nobody has their camera on? You're just, you're literally speaking to a black screen. Yeah. Like, I honestly couldn't go over that. Like, see if someone in my team didn't have their camera on, we'd be like, you right. Get camera on. I guess that's also probably because in COVID you didn't really make an effort at all. You'd just probably roll out of bed a lot of people, just scrape your hair back up. I know, but then you noticed that everyone was doing the same. Yeah. But I suppose, like, a lot of people's work is very just you go in, you do your job, and you leave, whereas my industry is very, like, everyone becomes pals and it's quite yeah. light-hearted and, like, you joke around and you've all seen each other in more of a state than you ever would be sitting in your bed at home. Yeah. So I suppose it is a bit different, but I still couldn't quite understand how you're having this full meeting with people, but you can't see them. Yeah. yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Totally agree. I mean, I think it was a huge problem. So, we've not seen a spike in social anxiety yet, but I think it's still to come. Yeah. Because folk are still able to keep their cameras off. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, many organisations now saying they get back to the office. Yeah. Yeah. Get your camera on, this sort of stuff. So, I think it will come. That's how social anxiety sort of decreased because people weren't forced to. Yeah. But I think we'll start to see it peaking a bit more. Because of that. Because yeah. I suppose, like, yeah, and it, it kind of ended months ago now, but people are still getting away with maybe not going out so much mm-hmm. still, because it has only been, say, like, maybe four or five months of actual normality. Yeah. So it's not going to be until it's been maybe, like, a year of that that people are going to need to start saying, OK, I still can't get myself out the door, or, yeah. like, whatever they still are struggling with, eventually they'll ask. So it probably yeah. would take quite a while for oh, it to yeah. show. It will. Yeah. Well, and then accessing services isn't easy either because everyone's got waiting lists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's going to say. Obviously, you work in a private 
part of mm-hmm. counselling. So if somebody is worrying about finances and they're thinking, I do want to get help, mm-hmm. what sort of free places can they call access? Like how? What, yeah. What's... Well, there's a few places. So in, in South Lanarkshire, there's LAMH. They have a counselling service, so that's free. Um, there's also Liberate, they're based in Blantyre, that's also free. Moira Anderson Foundation, they're out in Coatbridge, but they work with more sexual abuse. But yeah. what you'll find is that people have comorbidities. So if there may be been trauma or child ad- adverse childhood experiences in their life, some of these disorders will present themselves. Yeah. Right. So um, I, they can be treated there at Moira Anderson's Talk now at my school bride. They do a small fee and I think they also do um, free yeah. sessions crisis out in Erskine that's just the ones off the top of my head mm-hmm. crisis out in Erskine they do small fee and free so there is services there but as you can imagine there's so what about if they didn't want to actually physically leave their house and they wanted just to call them or let's say they weren't based in Scotland yeah. who could they call them them because what's happened is as a result of COVID which is a good thing is that they can offer Zoom sessions so right, Zoom okay. counselling has been going on and telephone yeah. counselling has been going on so they can get that. Yeah. So you can you can zoom. I mean, there's obviously most people now have a smartphone to some description, so they can go in and yeah. Or if no, then telephone counselling mm-hmm. yeah. is a, is a kind of no last resort, but it's ideally you want to be seen, especially with somebody with social anxiety. Yeah. You want to be seen. You're trying them. to get them. You're trying to get them. Yeah. Aye. But I suppose it's good that it's an option because if people are really, really like in a bad place and can't get out of the house, and at least they can still access some sort of help without. Yeah. Yeah, like, I folk are at uni and things like that as well. The uni, so Glasgow Uni, Strathclyde Uni, they've got a really good counselling service, and it, maybe don't even know that that, that it's there, but mm-hmm. it's there because I supervise the therapist there, and I'm one of the clinical supervisors at Strathclyde. So there's they've got a cracking service in place as well. If, if you know, there's really? folk at uni, hi. Glasgow's the same. Glasgow Uni. That's so good because we spoke about before how people who started like uni and things like that through COVID it must be so difficult because it's just not the same experience that it's meant to be yeah. and a lot of them probably are struggling to like find their feet with it mm-hmm. or see people that move for uni and then they couldn't leave the halls or yeah. meet friends they're probably now feeling really alone and yeah. also you um it'll be the same for like first years going in during COVID mm-hmm. because they were all online and so was your uni but so you've not actually seen these people face to face you've seen them on a screen maybe if you put the camera on <laughs> but in face to face wise then you've maybe not seen these folk although you've been in a class with them for a year that's a bit yeah. weird it's so weird it's a bit of a barrier like with reality very strange um, so we have obviously asked some questions on our Instagram so I'm going to read some out to you now there was quite a lot we were mm-hmm. we, we were a bit <laughs> we were a bit shocked actually um, but they're all very varied so um, okay so we'll start with this one because obviously you specialise in CBT so Somebody has said here, will CBT work with trauma of losing a baby? My baby was stillborn nearly three years ago and it still haunts me. I have daily nightmares and flashbacks, which is obviously extremely awful. Yes. Um, what I would say is that CBT, I think my opinion, works well with kind of one-off traumas. Um, and I don't know if that person had other traumas or no, but let's say they didn't. It could work. Um, yes, absolutely. There is a treatment plan that could work for that person. But also uh, EMDR might be good for that trauma as well. It's really pricey though, that's the problem. That one's quite yeah. expensive and quite hard to access. So you'll maybe seen it on, in fact, um, Prince Harry had some. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about that, but anyway, he had some. Oh, you'll have seen him, I don't know if he's ever seen one of his interviews last year, and he was getting EMDR and the person was moving a light in front of them on oh, a finger. Really? Yep. So what happens is to do with processing of the brain during trauma. So EMDR is helpful. Um, and so does that to like keep you focused without kind of going like into your own thoughts about the trauma? 
it's it's to process the trauma because I I can't even get into it right. But basically, <laughs> how the brain processes trauma, what happens is trauma stays in a loop in your brain. Right. Okay. And that's how it reoccurs. I say that's the easiest way to describe yeah, it. Right, Much okay. more complex than that. Mm -hmm. And um, he's went for the MDR, and you saw he kind of broadcast a bit of the video. And you saw the, the person doing oh, wow. the, the treatment with them live. So, yes, CBT would work and okay. also EMDR. There's a couple that talk about being like an anxious skin picker, so like picking like round their fingers and like oh, do that. scraping away. And is that just down to like feeling overly anxious in situations, or is there something specific that that means, or what can they do to help that? It's just they're overly anxious. So, mm -hmm. unless we, I would know about a bit more specific. about their story mm -hmm. and why, so you'd be looking for. Well, what my advice to that person would be is to look for triggers. So start keeping my diary. So when do they pick their skin the most? When are they most anxious? And right, then what yeah. they will absolutely see is a pattern. Okay. And they went up to like payday or something. Yeah. Or... Yep. So it could be a parent. Hormones it could be hormones. You will, if you keep a track of your diary. So diaries are amazing. People hate doing the diaries. So like clients that I've worked with will hate filling in diaries, mm -hmm. but diaries give me so much information and you get to see patterns. So yeah. for anybody that's got any sort of thing going on they want to be tracking that right okay they'll find a pattern for sure yeah, yeah that's, really that's so helpful um what is imposter syndrome versus natural self-doubt i feel the two have become intertwined well that's a loaded question so imposter syndrome <laughs> usually comes into perfectionism yeah so folk who want to be perfect but perfect is abstract it doesn't exist mm -hmm. you know so again people setting themselves up to fail reach you know, having standards that are never going to be met and then there's a huge demoralisation attached yeah. to that. What was the last part of that question, Jess? Um Versus natural self-doubt. I feel the two yeah. have become intertwined. That's it. So yeah. high expectations, you know, because the pressure's so high, they're putting so much pressure on themselves and then the self-doubt comes in and it creeps away at the confidence. Yeah. So the more I try... And the more I overcompensate, it's like, you know, being stuck on a horse and not getting being able to get off of the hamster wheel. The more you set yourself up to fail, the more confidence creeps in. So people need to have a have a look at their goals and their perfectionism. Yeah. In terms of is, is what I'm trying to achieve yeah. achievable. A few are about like body confidence, but also like food guilt, like having that obsession with watching what you're eating, what you're spending on money, eh, what money you're spending on food, sorry, and how to get over that. I think that's such a common thing of everything people put past their lips they think should I have eaten that mm -hmm. yeah. I think it depends and again that's low self-esteem yeah. so what's the what is it that they're thinking about what's the matter with them you know mm -hmm. do they feel that they're too heavy or are actually are they a really nice weight but they're still trying to cut back and what's triggering that are they on social media a lot I mean I love social media for lots of great reasons, but it's a massive impact on people's image and, and perception yeah. about how, excuse me, how they should look. So again, uh, there's feelings of guilt around that, but are the guilt feelings rational or irrational? And that's what CBT would do. So anytime you have a kind of thought like that, for example, um, should I have eaten that big curry the night? Aye, absolutely, because I pure loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I really enjoyed it. But what I'll do is maybe tomorrow I'll eat a bit healthier. Yeah. And that's, <clears> that's a bad. rational way of dealing, dealing with it. Should I have eaten four curries this week? No. Probably not. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, you see, actually, right, okay. Everything, 
they just say like everything in moderation yeah like right. give yourself a healthy balance and then you won't feel guilt over the bad things and then when you're having the good things you'll maybe feel like a bit of a pleasure that you managed to be healthy that day absolutely and that see that's a goal that you, you see even mm-hmm. when you were talking there your wee face lit up so you were just like because that's me every week i'm like right i'll do that tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow i'm going to be good and then that doesn't happen but yeah so goals need to be achievable do you know Mm-hmm. Or you set yourself up, but and that's that cycle of failure because yep. I know that's a really strong word I'm using, but ultimately that's what's going on. I'm yeah. failing. That's kind of coming in the most of the like circumstances as just setting yourself up for failure and trying to overachieve rather than taking it like step by step. Absolutely. Yeah. This is quite a good one. Um, health anxiety, particularly thinking every new symptom is cancer, and scared to go to the doctors. Any advice on how to combat this would be fab. Tried hypnotherapy. <clears throat> so first thing is the fact that they're not going to the doctor so they're health avoider which means that they need to go to the doctor mm-hmm. right so by not not doing the thing that they need to do it's keeping that loop going so you get health seeking people with health anxiety and health avoiders and so health seeking people are people on the phone to the doctor yeah. every five minutes mm-hmm. i've got a lump in my knee i've got a tumor i've got asthma i've got lung cancer i've got brain <laughs> i've got this i've got you know right yeah and the, the, but the thing is, they believe it, mm-hmm. right? So there's a cracking um, video called Only Humans for the person with health anxiety. Tell them to Google it. It's on YouTube. It's a it's a wee documentary that was on. It was about exposure. Because people with health anxiety at that time, you know, I know I'm laughing about it, but I often laugh about this stuff because mm-hmm. um, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> people with health anxiety believe, firmly believe in that moment in time that they've got leukaemia. Like, yeah. that's what they believe, right? And then they get so upset and distressed about it. But what what happens is they, it's, they need to go to the doctor, rule out the tests, and then they'd have to look at their mental health because there's something else going on that's triggering that health anxiety. Mm-hmm. There'll be something else going on perhaps in that person's life. So they, their health avoiders, health seekers are on the phone every five minutes and, and spend their whole time just phoning the, the, the doctors and, and getting medicine. And most likely won't have anything wrong with them? They tend not to have... Health anxiety is, um, the person might not want to hear this, but it's a wee bit tricky to uh, treat, sorry, because because it's quite complex um, and, and therapists need to be sure that there's nothing the matter with them, mm-hmm. which yeah. is why I'm saying the health avoiders need to go to the doctor, make yeah. sure there is nothing the matter with them, get and their bloods done, them. all that, and then deal with the mental health and you can rule that out. Yeah. Because yeah. you won't want to That's give true. advice that you're fine and then exactly <laughs> hopeful. Yeah. I feel like we've probably covered it just with like self-esteem but there's a few that it's like why do I just always think of the worst case in every situation and like I know loads of people like that that and that just is it just like worrying like you're just worrying about what is the worst thing that could happen here rather than thinking about the good outcome of things. I and it's also done a here we go going to <coughs> bash the parents. I'm not going to bash the parents, <laughs> um, but it does come down to childhood. So what w- what happens is every person when they grow up, they have experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, right? And they're stored, so right up to the age of eight, they're stored as images and memories as children. So, for example, if you were to speak to, like, a five-year-old, they wouldn't say, oh, I've had such an adverse experience there, watching mm-hmm. my parents have an argument or something like that. What they would do is they'd have a wee feeling, you know, and then maybe have an image and that's just clocked in their brain. Yeah. But... People, depending on what they've experienced in their life, will have their, their muscle in the brain that, that, that keeps all that information will be bigger, right? So people, that part of the brain actually gets bigger if they've had more kind of adverse experiences. So folk with, with kind of general anxiety and they head to that worst case scenario, remember anxiety is fear-driven, but it keeps us safe. 
right? So that's one thing that people forget, that anxiety is actually a good thing. Like, we're, we're, we're trying to get rid of it, but what folk need to do is just endure it because it's, it's adrenaline, it keeps you safe. You don't want to be walking through the park at night with any anxiety. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. something might happen to you. Yeah. So people mm-hmm. need to remember, we think about anxiety nowadays and we think anxiety is the worst thing in the world. But anxiety keeps us safe. Yeah. Yeah. So when kids are younger and they, they have these wee anxious things, they, then, you know, they then grow and develop into adolescence and all that sort of stuff, they'll carry some of that anxiety with them. So their natural disposition is worst case scenario. But what the question needs to be for that person is how detrimental is that to the, to the quality of their life? So they're always thinking, you know, with those wee blinkers on like that, mm. worst case scenario, then does that actually impact on the quality of their life or yeah. is it just yeah. something that happens? Yeah, that's interesting. I've got one here for um, relationships. How to not attach yourself to men due to fear of abandonment? Oh, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a matter it's that's a different kettle of fish. It is a different kettle of fish, and there's a th- there's a psychological theory by Freud called repetition compulsion. And it's called schema chemistry, right? And essentially, what that is is that you will get into relationships. That is the old theory with a parent, right? So you can look at your partners. I don't know if you went to, and I have this chat with people and they're horrified, and you'll see characteristics probably of the parent that you got on the least, or the one that bothers you the most. Yeah. That's t- <laughs> Okay. Right. Everybody's sitting in the room like, oh no, she didn't. I did. <laughs> so the problem that you've got there with relationships is that if that situation at home was particularly unhealthy, mm-hmm. you're gonna go in that cycle again. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's why that's opening Pandora's box because that's why people find themselves in relationships that aren't that healthy, and mm-hmm. then they come out that one, then they go into another one. And so on and so on. And that's kind of how that plays out yeah. until they go into therapy and have a chat about that. Yeah. I do think relationship advice and that sort of thing is a whole different ball game, isn't it? It is because of those, <laughs> because of those dynamics. Yeah. Like, it's meaty. Um, and I've, I've not done any relationship training. I've done other types of training, uh, schema therapy and things like that, that talk a lot about relationships and, and, and the worked in domestic abuse for you know, a while, four or five years. So I know a lot about it. Um, but aye, it's a, that's a podcast in itself, honestly, yeah. it's huge. We'll get yeah. you back. <laughs> I'm sitting here sweating. <laughs> this is quite a good one. So I lived abroad for 10 years. I've moved home. In brackets, they've put sick, serious. Okay, so they were seriously sick. Then COVID hit. I still don't feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what any was like how do you know if you're in like, the right place, right time? Yeah. yeah. We sort of touched thing. base on that, didn't we, in the last yeah. one? Yeah. Well, when you move away, your identity changes almost, isn't it? Because I've I lived abroad for a while and you get to know people and you're kind of moving into a different culture and all that sort of stuff. For that person, what 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 we need to remember as human beings are we're instinctually social. We, we hunt in packs mm-hmm. and we don't do well on our own, mm-hmm. right? That's where depression stems from, that I am alone in yeah. the world. And that's a really sad place for people to be. And when you come back for such, you know, a, a gap away, 10 years is a long time, you're like a whole new person. You're essentially having to build your life up for yeah. scratch again. Mm-hmm. And that's perhaps what this... So I know a few people that happened to and through uh, therapy and treatment that they went away and came back just before COVID came and they never got to settle. 
because of that because they had thought right well I'll do this job we'll start the job and then the job was working from home yeah, so yeah. you're not going to meet pals and people working from home are you no so because the best part of working in an office isn't sitting with your pal it's cutting about drinking and, and bitching about folk out the coffee machine having <laughs> yeah, a drink yeah. of water and you're your lunch and going you know all that sort of <laughs> stuff and people missed that yeah so it was brilliant didn't have the commute but yeah so these people are so their two years has a long time to yeah. be I really missed that that's the reason why I ultimately sort of quit my office job wasn't it I couldn't handle it anymore hated it hated going from one room to the other and just to sit and just it was just not I'm quite a social person so I think I needed that and it really did affect me after about a year and a half of it I just thought and I, I think I also had anxiety of actually leaving the house on a lunch break in case like my boss phoned me I didn't feel like I could actually leave the house no. Except on the weekend. And then even then you had restrictions being yeah. able to go anywhere. It was just a vicious cycle. It was awful. Yeah. So more worry. Yeah. More worry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> so got, um, one last one now then. So uh, 38-year-old female, single, no kids. I'm a, and I'm okay with this. Friends distancing slash very mean comments. I'm feeling very deep anxiety and very lonely. So what's probably happening there is that that person, I mean, this is just a hypothesis based on that comment, but um, is, is depression. And with depression, there is an element of anxiety. You do get anxiety with depression. That'll be one of the, remember the ones I was talking about mm -hmm. earlier that might be functioning? The, the, the problem that they have is if they've got friends that are distancing themselves, then they need to question the friendship. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's massive for folk like that's really overwhelming because some folk would rather be in friendships that are only good for them than be alone and yeah, that's a shame that's true actually and i get that i totally get that because as human beings we need interaction don't we so i'll take the scraps but what does that do what do you think that does to you it just confirms what you already feel about yeah. yourself if you're already feeling like crap and people are treating you like crap then yeah same in relationships as well i guess people stay with people because they have the fear of being single Absolutely. or alone Absolutely, because mm. being alone's quite scary and frightening. Yeah. So it's about building resilience and self-esteem. Yeah. We're back to self-esteem again. There's a wee mm. theme. Yeah. <laughs> Getting through Definitely the chat, is. it's self-esteem mm. and, and, and... I think as well people are really guilty of, like we discussed on our podcast about social pressures, um, society pressures, and it's just about like people need to be more mindful that not everyone wants to be at the same stage, at the same age. Yep. and all that stuff of the life so just because you're 30 odd and your friend's single like why why should that change your friendship they shouldn't mm -hmm. need to be at the same stage as mm -hmm. you why i think what happens is because i was listening to your wee chat last week about it um, and i think what happens is my answer to that zoe because i was like i know an answer to that <laughs> <laughs> i was listening to it and i thought i i think the the well my opinion of it is that they're the other people are changing mm -hmm. because they're not able to give up their time as much because they're so it's not that you're no thought about, it's just that their attention has to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you're, you've got a group of friends that are all maybe getting married and having kids and all that sort of stuff, which is what you kind of chatted mm -hmm. a wee bit about. The natural progression in life is generally kids and, and marriage, if you want yeah, to look at yeah. it like that by, what if you want to go societal 30-odds, right? If you choose not to, which is totally people's choice, these people will move on because they, cause they are. yeah. But they just don't have as much like free time for just exactly. friendships anymore. They've got they family to think about and yeah. like, different priorities. Aye, let me and my pals. We can't meet up. We need to book it in like months in advance because yeah. you get all that stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But if we'd a single pal that didn't have kids in that group, that would be really difficult. Yeah, yeah. and it's not that nobody wants to spend time with them or anything. It's not like that. It's just 
you're just ah, you're trying just, to fit it ah, all you're in. wildly busy. Yeah. Working and, and all that sort of stuff. But I get why folk would get lonely. Yeah. I think people just need to be mindful of everyone's different circumstances and know that you're not all going to be in the same place at the same time. Absolutely. And there's no rules. Remember that I was listening to you when you were chatting last week and Jess was talking about you want to go and travel and you're, you know, because you've, well, seen yous, I wouldn't have been going travelling as much because I've got two kids, but had I been your age, that's two years of no travelling. Yeah. That's two years of no seeing the world. Yeah. So you get two years to catch up on, which kind exactly, of yeah. stunts things a little bit, yeah. if, you know, for that perspective. So I think things have just went a wee bit wonky lately. But there's no, I mean, when we talk about societal pressure, where is that coming from, I suppose, would be my question. Mm. Like, where do you feel that? So you talked about your nan, is that right? Getting your yeah, hard time? she always asks me when I'm having a baby. Aye. Hurry up. Because <laughs> like, she wants one. Like, That's it, that is literally it. When can I buy a hat for the wedding? And, you know, and I would love that, nothing more than that, but I don't <clears> feel like it's, I'm yeah. doing it more for other people at this moment than it would be myself. Yeah. And it has to be right for me, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And you're right to do that. Yeah. I think a lot of people it is in their own head too. Yeah. Like I know quite a few people who really do compare ages and stages of life right. to everyone around them. And I'm like, you're the only person that feels that way yeah. about you. No one else is thinking about you. Like, and is there someone around you that you want in their life? Because there isn't. So why are you comparing it to them? It might yeah. be because they feel like they're missing out. Because mm-hmm. I can, the only reason I can compare that is myself when I was in my 20s. And I had a couple of dodgy relationships. Yeah, and my, my my friends, like my close friends, four years, they were kind of moving on. They were getting married and, you know, the path and the plan. And I was like, I'm out here in my way to Australia for a while because <laughs> I, I just wasn't on the, the mm-hmm. same. Things just weren't working out. But I needed a change because they had this. Then the pressure wasn't coming for them. And I didn't have any of that. And I'm thinking... This is actually a bit of a worry here. What's yeah. what's, what's going to what, what am I doing? What's mm. what's happening? So went away for a while and, and came back. The same person, but anyway, so we were get drunk for nine months and then came back. <laughs> but but I think that comparison comes no from the people that are kind of steady, the folk that maybe the, the single people, I know that sounds harsh, I don't mean it like that, but the sea folk looking pretty settled and there's a worry there. What mm-hmm. about me? I'm going to get left behind and, yeah. you know, and I'm lonely, you know. Like, I, they're all way out and they've got plans for the weekend with their partners. I, I've not got anybody. Yeah. I can only go out with who's no doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a nice place what to be. What would be your advice for that person if they're feeling that way? I think they need to open up their hobbies and interests a bit more mm-hmm. and and fill the gaps because that's essentially what it is. It's, it's being able to pick and choose friends. Not anybody. Not just pick pals up, but think about your hobbies. And then, first and foremost, that gives you things to do. I don't care what it is. It could be, oh, I say that to people all the time, it could be knitting, it could be hill walking, it could be whatever. But join groups. There's groups, uh, meet-up apps. Um, obviously, you need to risk assess them, but there is meet-up <laughs> apps and things like that where there is groups of people going about. And you might not meet your, your best pal, but it might be fill up your time. Yeah. And it's, but it's that whole idea of rejection, or my pals are rejecting me, they'll know they're just moving on slightly differently for you, and yeah. you're internalising it. And I get it, because you're lonely. We don't do well when we're on our own. We just don't, as human beings. And I know you talked about introvert and extrovert and all that, and I had a wee laugh about that in my head as well. I was like, oh. <laughs> and do you think that everything happens when the time is right? Because I really 
push that on it. people. Mm. Like, I love saying that. Because I believe it, but do you believe it? Like, would you say that to people? <clears throat> I think um, my opinion on that has probably changed over the years as I've right. got older, probably a bit more wiser. You're much more wise than me when I was 26. But my anxiety was I needed to fit the societal norms. I need mm-hmm. to get a man. I need to settle down. And I never, I just did it all myself. Got my own flat, moved in myself and all mm-hmm. that. I think now, definitely, I think that the more you, you remember, the more you try to do something, the more a barrier you become to yourself. Yeah. The more you try and control, the more out of control things become. So if we go back to Jess's old, like plan or goals and all that, that she was doing great, going great guns, but trying to control too much, it just becomes out of control and then mm-hmm. the struck button's pressed and the whole weekend's gone. Or, yeah. So I do believe that it's, but I think that's easy for me to say, retrospectively and go, aye, aye, I get it now. My 20s were like, who am I, what am I doing? But in your 20s, you didn't necessarily think it. Absolutely not. Yeah. Not at all. Because all I did was look at everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because you judge yourself on your peers, don't you? Yeah, definitely. That's what you do. And if they're all doing something that you're no, then you're going to want to do the same and wonder why why is this not happening for me? Yeah. But I'd have rather been on my own than being with guys, for example, that Mm -hmm. I was not interested in. Wow. Not everyone can be wise like me. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone can be wise like you. So. <laughs> people always call me wise. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> uh-huh. people say that? You don't seem your age at all. Well, not even my age. You're 26 now, aren't you? Yeah, but I've been like this forever. Yeah, you have. I've always been wise. <laughs> I'm always heading your shoulders. Oh, you're not going to fit out that door in a minute. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been very interesting. I want to ask you what's been on your plate this week, food-wise. <sighs> <laughs> I knew you'd asked Zoe that the other day and went she better not ask me that <laughs> my food plate and it wasn't the hot girl summer salad oh my god why not I love that but it wasn't that because I don't have time to cook what was on my plate Bar- barbecues this weekend pizza homemade pizza that my friends mm. made oh, wow. when the Oni's or the Oni Oni yeah Oni aye mm. he made them it was like totally terrible at them to start with but it get better <laughs> no, as the night went on yeah. <laughs> I was like you know other plate oh, I've always like a calzone oven thing uh-huh. it is a, a task in itself getting one of them to work but yeah, so I'm missing some yes. decent food. Yes. Cooked meals, like a roast. Yes, a good oh. roast. That's what I need today. To Everyone I've spoken to since us talking about that, that you say that we are rubbish at it, are so in disagreement. Well, obviously they've not had an English roast, have they? So how could they agree? Well, I don't know, but I'm just telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, this dilemma is very stressful. It's a nice, light-hearted one, though. I think my boyfriend is going to propose... Well, actually, I know he is because I've accidentally found the ring. How did I act surprised and fake cry? Please help her get all out. <laughs> well, just simply... How did she accidentally find the ring? That's what I want to know. know. She knows it's she happening. Knows. We'll need to ask her. We need to know where she goes. You must have it. went looking for it unless he's been like stupid and left it lying out somewhere. But surely not. Maybe it was in like some sort of top drawer. Yeah. Top I, don't, drawer. I don't know. You go, mm. Men go to some effort, don't they, to hide mm. it? I think she's been snooping. She I has been snooping. But also, you're just going to need, like, you're just going to need to act surprised. Like, there's no other option. Because uh-huh. that's a shame. Imagine if it's like the love actually actually scene where he actually bought it for another woman. Um, right. Oh no! <laughs> Why did you put this in her head? No, sorry, shouldn't have said that. Did she like the ring as well? Why not? Like, did she actually? Like... <laughs> what are you asking that? <laughs> yeah. Because that would be even worse. Was it a nice ring? Like oh my god! You would be like, have I ever told you this kind of style of ring I like? <laughs> Well, what you just say you gotta get your best acting skills, and when it gets down on one knee, you gotta pretend that you never had any idea. <gasps> oh, I had no idea. <laughs> Rub some yeah. onion in your eyes or some paper. Yeah. <laughs> get the onions out. What's been on your plate? 
I had a barbecue yesterday and my dad was highly offended at me saying in a previous episode that every time I went to his house for a barbecue, he was doing it in the oven. So he said in front of everyone yesterday, you'll be glad to know I'm doing it on the actual barbecue she could get. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Glad you listened. Love it. Okay, well, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming in to see us. It's been wonderful. And and have you got any advice for anybody before you leave or a number or website that they can contact you on or your team? Um, Just get us at Counselling and CBT Services. We do have an Instagram, but we're like total dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's usually Facebook. Um, I know a lot of younger demographic are on Facebook. Well, we can link it in our description. So click below. Blow. Click below. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wouldn't even know how to do that. That's the first time either of us have ever said that, so here we go. <laughs> and we'll try and attach some of the videos that you've spoken about, the one on YouTube. We'll try and get that in the description oh, as well. Oh, the Only Humans one, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that things like that just to make it a bit easier. Very well mind, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thank you Perfect. so much. Thanks very much for, thank for having me. Thank Thanks you. so much. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.